Welcome to City on the Edge. Hello. Hey. The podcast where we tell Albuquerque stories. I'm Ty Bannerman. I am Ty Bannerman. And this is going to be weird. There's going to be cloned ourselves just to make this introduction super special. Confederate Albuquerque and City on the Edge. City on the Edge. City on the Edge. City on the Edge. We're here. Wow. That totally. That was totally abrupt. Uh, well, thank you. We have a live audience. Uh, we're here at the yeah. historic Albuquerque Press Club. Look at the good people in this room. I just can't believe what a great community we have here. I'm so happy. Look at all the people Absolutely. that are coming out from this. Um, over there in the shadows, we've had we had to get folding chairs down from upstairs. That's how many people we have. I mean, we're talking at That's least like and if six we're or seven people. Also, no way. There's like a couple, <laughs> eight and, or nine and people. Quantity over quality, man. Digits. Because this is some. Very high quality, quality people rating. out there. My mother-in-law, quality hi, over quality. Denise, yeah. in the very, in sorry, the back. I, I My daughter. It. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so this is uh, New Mexico's first podcast festival that you guys are a the part of, one. including you who are watching at yeah. home on our live stream because we have entered the 21st century with this episode. Yeah. Uh, so New Mexico's first podcast festival, Podscape. <laughs> um, I bet Leo York did one, but it was really racist, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will not have you sully Leo York's good name. Oh, How dare you? Damn. <laughs> Oh, that guy, what a douche. And yet here he is. We're talking about him. him. He's, like, <laughs> Somehow Mike's Hey, Mike, Mike I'm glad you brought that name show. up. Uh, Leo, could you please come out? Oh, oh that he, tried to fight me at Burt's. he tried to fight me at Burt's. It was Our hilarious. Our special guest. <laughs> um, however, we do have uh, the assistance of, uh, of 10 Drink Minimum, Chris Burnett, on oh, the... Um, yeah. On the live streamarama over there, working yeah. the mics, we've got a Smiley, whose last name I so don't know. So when you were young, did you watch Carol James. Burnett's show? <laughs> well, I, I feel like that's you. private information. I'm fucking with you. She's funny. Me. And then we have, uh, we have Billy, whose last name I also don't know, but... Belmont. Billy Beaumont. So thank you guys Good so much name. for all These your help. put in the time in the podcasting scene in Albuquerque. I think at one point they were like the only one. No, seriously. The, the foundation. The stuff. You know, they've, they've carried a torch. A lot of churches. And you know what? The Center for Southwest Research c- should collect their shows because they've interviewed pretty much everybody in the Albuquerque music scene. So that would be like a great resource to have about where Albuquerque was at in the 2010s. That would be something. Yeah. You know, that's my suggestion. You were on our show, Mike Smith. That's true. Twice. Twice. The second time was especially jolly. Boy, you guys really have an appropriate name, I gotta say. (laughs) 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 I don't even remember that interview. So, okay. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, we've, we've had, uh, so far, what you've missed today. We've had Squaring the Strange with yeah. noted skeptic Ben Radford oh, yeah, and Pasquale, whose last time I also yeah. don't know, but yeah, they talked about either. the end of the world and yeah. how it appears to not be happening today. Yeah. Um, if the weather mark- is pretty bad, though. <laughs> it is, actually. How is it bad to have rain? Rain is amazing. I love <laughs> yeah, that. you're right. If you marked your calendar for, uh, <laughs> for the end of the world as prophesied by the arrival of the planet Nibiru, I'm afraid you're probably feeling a little bit embarrassed right about now. You guys, Um, 
Today was actually significant for me because Ben Radford and I used to have like a writing team a long time ago, and then I got super depressed and I just like dropped out of his life and like never returned his emails or calls for a long time. And I had been avoiding him for like seven years, and today I finally talked to him and it I was, was like, very "Not sweet. gonna be a scared person anymore. I'm gonna like yeah, we actually you know? tie coordinate." This podcast fest for that moment. Yeah, so, that's true. That's all. Like, you know, I was really like, I wanted to be out of it. The second I heard he was going to be here, I'm like, no, I avoid him. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the but, uh, so that, that was nice. Was highly charismatic uh, uh, math nerds of uh, breaking math were here earlier. They talked about all kinds of stuff that kind of went over my head, um, but some of it was fractals, which sounded really cool. Yeah. And then dating another's paths to suicide with uh, Oscar. I don't know if he's still here, but he's a um, Marxist. He's asked. really cool. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I like that so guy. they they talked about the difficulties of dealing with one's exes, and in particular, I was I was sort of taken by his discussion about how you deal with an ex that you've had a child with. Which oh, wow. I mean, yeah, uh, I've been lucky not to have had any children with exes. Oh my god, so far. Let me tell you, as someone who has four kids with an ex, oh, God, do not choose that life path if you have an option. I mean, <laughs> pick a different one. Try another one. This one, I tested it. It's not good. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's rough. It's like you basically have to see your ex every day. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> we don't like each other. She, it's bad for her, too. She, well, you know, it's like... <laughs> okay, so what Oscar said was it takes a lot of time, but eventually it becomes like a like a sort of a friendship with yeah. somebody like a with like I'm a working on myself. Or something I'm trying like to just that. be chill with everyone. So that that howl of disconsolate rage yeah. there, it will pass. Yeah. No, okay. and she's a nice person. It's just we like we're dumb people that picked each other at twenty two, you know? Yeah. But, I mean your mistake was yeah. ever falling in love in the first yeah. place. Boy, this one got real Jeez. fast, man. Can we like move on to what like tumbleweeds, were there a lot of tumbleweeds? or something <laughs> last week. I don't know. <laughs> All right, but that's not what we, uh, we... We're not here to talk about any yeah, of those yeah. things. We are here to talk about Albuquerque and Albuquerque yeah, yeah. history. <laughs> uh, we're going to be discussing the uh, the history of the Whittlesey House, which is the environment that we find ourselves in. These storied and shadowed corners have, uh, have quite a history behind them, so we're going to be oh, talking man. about that. Um, but first, we uh, should probably introduce ourselves. I'm, I'm Ty Bannerman. I'm Mike Smith. I'm Nora Hickey. She's wearing red because Sorry. she's a, a big Lobo supporter, not because she hates City on the Edge. The theme is McDonald's. Some sort of, sort of a statement <laughs> against us. Yeah. Um, we usually like to start these things with, uh, with a little bit of Albuquerque news. So I was wondering if you guys had any Albuquerque news. Oh, man. Talk about. I heard some sad Albuquerque news today. Should we talk sad Albuquerque news? Is that Let's okay? I feel like we sad. should. Let's, yeah, we just went to the X. That's true. Okay. Man. Files. All right. Well, curse the city because that's what came to mind. Um, uh, what about the, um, <laughs> we were talking earlier about the sort of smear campaign of Tim Keller oh, that yeah, he yeah. supports. Tim Keller loves sex offenders. Sex offenders. Um, yeah. According to a series of advertisements purchased by the, uh, the man who is developing the Santa Lina subdivision, um, or community, I guess. And uh, actually, Tim Keller is the only candidate who is apparently not taking money from this guy and surprisingly is the only candidate who is at the receiving end of a smear campaign on television. You guys, I went as an alibi reporter one time 
to a uh, debate that was that was gubernatorial, gubernatorial candidates, including Susanna Martinez and and all the others from that last race, and they were just talking to housing developers. That was it, just housing developers. It was so corrupt, and they Gross. were all just like basically saying, "We'll get rid of all the regulations. We'll do everything we can to help you and keep you here in our community." I mean, it was a massive suck up fest. Holy shit! Sorry. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it clean. But uh, I. <laughs> Anyway, we have a corrupt government. That's all. Uh, there's the, there's the all right. news. That's the news. <laughs> all right. Uh, you What's want up? to tell the story about the guy who stole the green chili oh, cheese? Oh, yeah. This happened in Santa Fe, but Whatever. I feel like it could happen in Albuquerque. Yeah. So, you know, the green chili smackdowns that happen to see who has the best green chili cheeseburger? Well, this was a real-life green chili cheeseburger smackdown because someone slapped someone with a green chili cheeseburger <laughs> and stole it and ran away. <laughs> And then he was found. I'm in a little jail. sad this didn't happen in Albuquerque. It seems like a very uh, Albuquerque story. Yeah, I feel like Santa Fe doesn't deserve a story that beautiful. That crime is almost wholesome. I know, <laughs> and he did apparently did yeah. a little dance, kind of some, yeah. you know. Oh, that's nice. He did a dance. He yeah, kind of distracted him with a There's dance. A dance. He distracted and then him a with slap. dancing. Yeah, and then yeah. slapped him and took his burger. Yeah. Guys, um, I just got to say, isn't it cool that we have a community of people that are just listening to us talk right now? That's freaking insane. What a supportive community. Enjoy while it lasts. Yeah, I'm like, while. they're turning off the one guy by just one. left. <laughs> How cool. <laughs> um, it did All make right. me want to try that cheeseburger, though, because that's oh, a, yeah. Yeah. Like the it was Shake the Foundation. Shake together. Foundation. Yeah, so yeah. it looked like, wow, if that's what they're... So maybe yeah. it's a viral marketing stunt? Yeah, oh, In which case, it. Oh. it is extremely successful. successful. Yeah, it worked. Hey, what do you got there? I have something from 1989, actually. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the, um, the invasion of raccoons in Albuquerque mm -hmm. this year and how they've been murdering our chickens and turtles mercilessly. Um, so what I have here is a, is a publication printed by the Albuquerque Press Club in 1989. It's called The Ape Sheet. <laughs> get, it, get it? They had an oh, annual newspaper yeah. here just for the press club. Um, That's cool. For a long time. And I'm just going to read you the first paragraph because I think it's kind of beautiful. The real reason for the Great Bear invasion of Albuquerque of 1989 was not because of lack of food, but really an act of sabotage by agents of the Soviet Union. So it all goes downhill from there. But I, I just... I'm th I'm just <laughs> we, uh, we should count our blessings that it's just uh, raccoons and not so... But then, uh, you know, we've got kind of, we got Russian issues right now, it's crazy. too. So Russians yeah. and raccoons, and they had bears in the, yeah. the Soviet Union. But now our fears are real. It's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Those raccoons are vicious. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, well, yeah. I was thinking more Russian hackers. but uh, And, uh, oh, man. Well, that was interesting. Yeah, we, we spent like the afternoon looking at these old newspapers, and they are interesting. There's if you can get one of the bartenders ones. to let you look at those, do it. They, they go all great. the way back to 1975 <laughs> or so. Um, yeah. No, I saw a 1968 one. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. The way Hallie, uh, who's the manager of the, um, of the place that we're at, said, uh, she said that in the backs of them are lots of hairy naked women. So, I didn't find that to be the case. <laughs> it's true. I was looking. Yeah. Um, now there's going to be a rush for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These, so I have to yeah. just say, you can check it out. And, and they're a little bit racist. There's a joke too. about wetbacks, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, well, too bad. You know. Um, but it's kind of interesting. They talk a lot of uh, smack about local politicians from the 70s. Um, boy, they really stick it to Mayor Kenny. Oh, yeah. Uh, they say he cavorts with sex bots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> kind yeah. of ahead of their time in 1977. <laughs> Weird. 
Um, and speaking uh, of the press club, which is where we are now, we're going to be talking about its history. Yeah. Uh, this building that we're in actually dates all the way back to 1903. It's one of the oldest buildings in the part of Albuquerque we call Newtown. Um, as we stated many times before on the podcast, but, you know, we might have people here who are not kind of following our every single word um, that we've stated over the last two years. But... Old Town Albuquerque. Shame on you all. Shame on you all that haven't followed every pod, <laughs> podcast episode. All right. Just leave. Just go. <laughs> no, no, no. 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 Please stay. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> I can totally kidding. Upset. Totally kidding. Um, so, New Town, so Old Town Albuquerque was founded in 1706 as the Via de Albuquerque. Um, New Town Albuquerque wasn't founded until about 1881 or so. When the uh, railroad came through. That's right. When the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad... Um, set its rails down uh, about a mile and a half away from where Old Town is, and a whole new community sprang up around it. Um, a lot of it built up by Easterners, people who came uh, from the eastern United States out here in order to you know, build their fortune and, and so forth. Um, because the railroad came... Oh, did you have... No, keep going. Keep okay. going. I'll tell it at the end. So because the railroad came through, there was suddenly a what they called the Open West. Um, this was basically the Western United States suddenly accessible for the first time to people who weren't ready to just you know, end their lives in the East and live out West. Now it was open to people who just maybe wanted to travel around through the area. Um, and the Atchison, Topeka, Santa Fe Railroad was right at the front of that, and they were building hotels along their railway through the uh, through the west um a lot of them were harvey houses uh fred harvey was uh, kind of the first um tourism magnate in the united states and he had his name all over the west yeah um and so they were interested in having a harvey house here people from the east could come out and see you know the the romantic culture of the Spanish Americans and the Native Americans and, you know, the, the way that they've, they live so differently than us Easterners. And you can do all that from, you know, without having to go and like camp out in the backwoods or anything. You could just stay in a hotel in town. Wow. And they got one too. It was in the Alvarado. Yeah. So actually the first thing that was built was a a depot um, with a small hotel attached to it. It was called the Harvey Depot. They basically just served some lunch. Um, however, it was successful enough that they decided to expand it. And so they brought in their chief architect, Charles Frederick Whittlesey, um, who was uh, 33 at the time. He was named the chief architect for all the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. So he was in charge. Yeah, yeah, he was in charge of designing every... Which Chinese slave labor built, by the way, the railroad? I think we should mention that every time we men- we talk about it. Chinese yeah. slave labor. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Basically, they were paid nothing. They were paid nothing. <laughs> A Chinaman's true, chance yeah. in hell. That phrase came from the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. Did it? We should uh-huh. think about that every time. Yeah, okay. In my opinion. All right. Okay. All right. Keep going. Good context. Read Iris so, Chang's book, The Chi- Chinese in America. Incre- incredible. Uh, Charles Frederick Whittlesey was, uh, he was 33 when he was named the chief architect for all the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. Um, he was from Illinois. He had actually uh, studied um, architecture and learned his trade in an office with Frank Lloyd Wright. And with Louis Sullivan. Louis Sullivan was his mentor. Who supposedly Ayn Rand 
Oh, uh, based a character on. off of in the what? Fountainhead. Not yeah. an honor. Not an honor. Yeah, uh, it was Henry Cameron she in sucks, the Fountainhead. You guys, don't read her. She so fucking sucks. She based Henry Cameron after this guy. Off, yeah, after Whittlesey's mentor. She wrote print romances. Sullivan. You think it's a page turner? Uh, no, it's corrupt. It's, it's awful. Well, I mean, while we're <laughs> so, who who was Cameron in the book? Do you know? Was this? No, uh, I've never read okay, it. Sorry, and I never um, will. A self-started millionaire, no doubt. I got thrown out of a car once hitchhiking because I got picked up by an Ayn Rand fan. It did not go well. <laughs> That's like the least surprising story you've told so far today. Right. Um. <laughs> Well, I've lost my train of yeah. thought. Sorry. Oh, but, sorry. Yes. Sorry, sorry. Go. but he worked in Chicago with Frank Lloyd Wright. He Louis worked Sullivan. in Chicago. Yes. According to one account I read, he won a design contest oh, to he? become the chief oh. of the railroad company. Oh. Well, I do know that when he was about 22 or so, he married a 12-year-old girl. Which oh, like, my God. Oh. The um, good old days. I found an ancestor like that. Oh, God. <laughs> I in the uh, the article I read this and it was it was an old one it was uh, actually by Mary Lou Heafy um, she wrote she wrote the account of him in the 1980s um, so she was well I'll get into her later but uh, she uh. said that he married a very beautiful 12 year old oh girl, my so god if that makes it any it's like better my daughter ah oh out out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, creepy. was he like, a different time? I don't Mormon? know. We don't we don't know exactly oh. what the story there was. There's Jesus. actually not a huge amount of information about Charles Whittlesey. Um, you guys, this is a mysterious space that we're in right now. Whittlesey built. Uh, are you going to talk about how he built the uh, the, yeah. the lodge of the Grand Canyon? Absolutely. So okay. um, when he was 33 years old, <laughs> he was named chief architect. Uh, in 1902, uh, he moved here to Albuquerque to begin working on. The Alvarado Hotel. I wondered, uh, sadly, we don't have a picture of it, but it's one of the great classic Harvey houses. It no longer exists because our, our city saw fit, well, not our city, but the Atchison Topeka Santa Fe Railroad saw fit to demolish it in favor of a parking lot in 1971. Oh. Um, apparently, it was beautiful and an early example of uh, poured concrete architecture. So, you all know the city went crazy in the 70s, right? And they yeah, just ripped down tons all. of historic stuff. There's actually a mural about this downtown by uh, the Lotus Nightclub. Mm. However, uh. we, we are fortunate enough to have two of the three um, buildings that Charles Whittlesey designed still existing here in Albuquerque. Yeah. We are sitting here in one of them. This is the, uh, the Whittlesey home. He, he designed it uh, and built it for himself and his family. He designed it at the exact same time that he was working on El Tavar Lodge at the Grand Canyon. And if you ever go there, it looks like this same design with the rough-hewn logs and this kind of weird, they call it like a, like apparently it's like a Nordic fantasia of a, of a co woodland cottage is it, what they're It's a strange structure. For. He really built something interesting, really. Yeah. It yeah. rambles off of every side of this hill. And so you can go there, and it's, it's the expensive place uh, at the Grand Canyon. If you're going to stay oh. at one of the um, original... Uh, Harvey Lodges there. I have a whole book about it. It's just pictures of the lodge. People care really? about the history of that place now, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it looks so, like this, but bigger. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It was, this, was, this was the design aesthetic that he was working in at that time. Mm. Um, then when he... Uh, for the Alvarado Hotel, 
Um, he was into this idea of Southwest regionalism. But if you've ever seen a picture of the Alvarado Hotel, it looks nothing like the Southwest regionalism of no New fancy. Mexico. Yeah. Hmm. It looks like uh, California mission style, mm. as far mm. as I'm concerned. Well said, well said. And that was basically because the, the architecture that we associate with New Mexico, which is Pueblo Revival... Um, kind of colonial Spanish, flat roof, adobe, uh, kind of rounded corners and that kind of thing. Mm. It hadn't come into any kind of vogue for modern at that time architects. Mm. They just didn't really see it at that point. And it wasn't until two years later when um, President William Tite of of the University of New Mexico Mm -hmm. built the first Pueblo revival structures that were influenced by Pueblo architecture. So... As far as Whittlesey was concerned, um, Southwestern architecture was this kind of weird mission style from California. Wasn't Tite also the guy who planted those trees at the corner of University and Central, and it's called Tite's Grove? Yeah, that's right. That's um, exactly and right. he had students bring them from the Sandias as little seedlings down and yes. plant them. So cool. I love that. That's nice. Yeah. That, like, that's, it's just a good story. Yeah. I mean, it is removing stuff from the wild, but that's I love those trees. I like every time we yeah, passed through those, I was like, well, these are great. Southwest corner yeah. of uh, the university. Let's um, give it up for those trees, you guys. We all love the trees at the corner of University and Central. Am I applauding for trees now? What are they? Like ponderosa pines? They're is that great. where my life is? Gone. I'm plugging the trees. <laughs> no, nice it just trees. doesn't happen enough. Um, we- so that's the corner of uh, Central and University. You can see that grove there, right. and in yeah. fact, the uh, structure behind across it across from the street from Wendy's. So get a delicious square hamburger. Yes, and then go. We are hoping for a Wendy's the- sponsorship. Man. I assume that's why we're when <laughs> when, when when Wendy's closed. My or not when Wendy's closed. When Dave Thomas, who died. Uh, the guy who founded Wendy's. Remember that? It was like 10 years ago. Um, when he died, my brother made the funniest joke. He's like, I guess they're going to close down all the Wendy's now. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's something about that that's stuck and with And you me. guys. So, I'm reminded of the calculus so jokes. Well, Dave Thomas is dead. Dave Thomas played piano in the Albuquerque <laughs> Press Club behind Ty. Oh. Look at that plaque. Oh, that's but he's the guy from New Mexicans for Science and Reason. This is a yeah. different Dave Thomas. Yes, the piano behind us is dedicated to Dave Thomas. But, yeah. uh, he's cool. Let's just say it's the Wendy's guy. The Wendy's guy hung out here. I have an audience question. So you were talking about like Pueblo Royal aesthetic. What, yeah. what what do you feel this this lodge is like? What what oh, is so, there a name for it? That's a good question. So it's like Norwegian cottage. Is good question. Like I think whatever craftsman. That's what you read. Partially craftsman. craftsman log. Yeah. Norwegian oh. cabin. Don't you guys oh, just feel Norwegian. good in it? Isn't it a welcoming space? Don't you like it? I love this it room. Is, except I'm afraid it's going to catch on fire literally yeah. any yeah. second. Very Can I tell you guys flammable. the funniest wow, thing I've seen in this room before? It made me laugh so hard. Uh, Ty was here, and he was a, the food editor for the Alibi at the time. And Seth was here, and he was the beer critic for Local IQ, and those were like feuding papers here, you guys remember? And, <laughs> and, uh, and Ty was like, I guess we'll just use these to start the fire. And he gets a bunch of Local IQs and crumples them up and puts them under there, and <laughs> Seth is like, mm. and, uh, <laughs> and he's like, well, I guess I'll just use this old rag over here and see if we can get it going with a tripod. And uh, it was just so funny. Well, I burn them two. both now, for uh, sure. Hilarious. Yeah. I guess the alibi survived in some form, but it's kind the of The alibi zombie. survives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man. Yeah. Oh, hey, I, huh. we were t- so the Alvarado. Yes. So okay, yeah. an interesting thing about the Alvarado. Charles Whittlesey designed the exterior, but the interior was designed by Mary Coulter, who I understand you've kind of looked into a little bit about her oh, career. That's yeah, cool. from Minnesota, um, and was one of the few female 
architect interior designers cool. working at the time. Yeah, she was kind of being like his apprentice at that point, I think. Mm-hmm. What's uh, your last when- name? Coulter. Coulter. C-O-L-T-E-R. So she did the interior of the Alvarado, which is apparently quite a thing to, to behold. Yeah. Um, and then she impressed the higher-ups at the Harvey company so much that she became the official one of their official architects. And she designed Bright Angel Lodge Oh, at that's the a big Grand deal. Canyon. Mm-hmm. Named yeah. by John Wesley Powell, that canyon, to match the Dirty Devil River. Oh, it's a cool lodge right where you, you take a zigzagging trail down to Havasupai Falls. That's amazing down there. Well, go go see it if you get a chance. Whoa. It's definitely from a, a different time of what we do with like beautiful natural wonders. Um, you know, the Harvey Company was like, great, this beautiful natural wonders. Let's put a hotel on it. Like yeah, literally on the rim, you know, like we want people to like be afraid they're going to fall off when they walk out the door. Um, supposedly for El Tavar, they actually uh. had a plan of like making a balcony that went out over the rim, but Theodore Roosevelt himself, uh, boycott, like voided that. He was like, no, you can't, you can't do <laughs> now that. Now they have that's that. There's that much. transparent bridge. Yeah. That that's, out that's a different tribal place. land. Yeah. Um, so cool. <laughs> but yeah, El Tavar is like I mean, 20 feet away from the rim. But cool. Uh, bright angels, like you can sit in the bright angel dining room and like the beautiful uh, picture glass window and look oh. just out oh. over the uh, over the landscape. And it's kind of it's something that I don't approve yeah. of um, for any. Like I'm glad it's not happening now, but it's kind of cool that it happened back then. <laughs> that you can sit there and just like be in this crazy oh. old cabin, you know, right on the rim. It's Man. it's kind of yeah. awesome you guys- in a way. It is. The press club retains an old time. It's so cool, isn't it? Like the way that it just retains this old time. I'm kind of glad we're talking about this. We can just talk about this cool space. And and I like to think that Mary visited, (laughs) you know, the Whittlesey family. So many ghost stories. I mean, she must have been in here. And I read she was a chain smoking perfectionist. So it's Uh, perfect. Her smoke is in the. I'd like to know more about her. Cigarettes are gross, but she does sound cool. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I have a little uh, a little story here from one of uh, Charles's daughters. I believe this was written by Beatrice, who was his second oldest daughter. Um, The architect's daughter. Yeah. So she says it's called the rattlesnake, Um, and I like this because it's got a little bit of a description of this very room that we're sitting in. It was while I was there in Albuquerque that Austin, which was Whittlesey's oldest son, mm-hmm. shot the snake. You were living in the big log house on the edge of the mesa. The living room was 60 feet, actual size, long, and an immense fireplace with logs, stumps on the hearth where we used to crack nuts in the evening or make candy and tell stories. There were a great many large easy chairs, Indian rugs, huge baskets and pottery, making it cozy, although it was very large. Surrounding this room on three sides was a 10-foot veranda. It was all very beautiful with a marvelous view. I saw a huge rattlesnake lying across the beams, head raised, mouth wide open with a forked tongue lashing in and out, (laughs) and a poor little bird, not a foot away, trying to keep it from her nest. I immediately called the family. Edie was down sewing, and Austin had just come in and still had his cowboy hat on. He couldn't have been much past 11, if he was even that, but he had manly ways. And... (laughs) (laughs) And felt I love old <laughs> phrases like that. That's so great. <laughs> and felt his responsibilities, his father being away from home a great deal. He naturally took the lead, got his gun, and shot the snake at the first aim. Then he skinned it and found four of the bird's eggs inside. So I just, I like that. You know, wow. that, that was something that literally happened right Whoa. just a few feet away from where we're staying. Oh, you guys. We are in um, a big story. And of course, that points out something. Uh, so this porch here... 
um, the view would not have been of the highway, nor would it have been of you know the neighborhoods beyond, but rather of a of a series of sand hills, kind of going off into the distance until the Sandia Mountain herself rose up in the distance. Because this was pretty much the edge of town um, where we're at now. In Why fact, did we change it. That sounds way better. <laughs> <laughs> the march of progress. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to just look out and see beautiful desert and mountains. Oh, it's amazing. So glad I live here. Um, it's just this concrete. <laughs> no, I like it still. Yeah. So anyway, the city <laughs> clear, <Good>. clearly. <laughs> but this was this was like the dusty plain. And if you go into the hall over here at some point later this evening, there's a series of uh, old sepia photographs on the wall that show what it looked like out here, with just basically this house and nothing else around it. You know, and and it was it was a beautiful spot. Wow. Um, so Charles Whittlesey did not spend much time here. He was always moving around because he was designing, you know, all kinds of uh, hotels and so forth. His family stayed here until about 1906. That's the um, number on the door plaque right there. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> wow. Don't say it three <laughs> times. Don't. <laughs> wow. But something happened in 1906 that changed his career and his life. Um, <laughs> any student of history know of anything that happened in 1906 on the west coast of the United States? Oh, was that the San Francisco earthquake? Mike, you're not supposed to answer <laughs> that. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I was just excited. I've been watching a lot of Jeopardy on my phone. It's making me quick. Yes. Speedy. Although I want, to, I want to point out that when my son was uh, about two years old, I used to say to him, and what does the cow say? And my wife, without fail, would go, moo. <laughs> As though I were asking her what the cow said. So I just had a, had a bit of a flirty. You're hilarious. <laughs> I'd be like, Courtney, I'm really not asking you what the cow said. <laughs> I think we've covered that in our many conversations about what different animals Who hasn't say. done something like that, man? <laughs> I think probably most new parents yeah, do yeah, that at oh some yeah. point. Oh, yeah. What about yes, the earthquake? It, it was the earthquake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, come oh, up to the, to the audience if you want to say something. Have a question? Simon Winchester wrote a really good book about that earthquake. What, Have you yeah, guys read it that? It was the no. earthquake. Excellent. Good um, popular history of it. So suddenly there was a need for, uh, for architects, especially ones who um, were familiar with the then revolutionary technique of pouring concrete. So yeah. he was brought out to, uh, to San Francisco to work. And so he and his family left... This house that we're in, uh, by 1908, they were uh, fully moved out, and it sat vacant for a while after that. Wow, so. that, wow. that makes this place a place of international importance. He went to San Francisco, man. That brings in that into the story of this place right here. Absolutely. You know, and that, that earthquake, that was crazy. I guess those events really were big events. I found an ancestor going through Chicago right after the Great Chicago Fire. I guess everybody, like... We all got here somehow, and so people must have existed in these big events, right? We all lived through 9-11 and stuff. That's that you know? is true. <laughs> you know? Not all of us. There might be some yeah. people yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, it was purchased by a number of different parties. It's unclear how many people lived there. Did you find much in the way of information, Nora? I know you were kind of pouring over yeah. some of the people. Um, the next noted one was Theodore Woolsey. <sighs> who was a junior assistant district forest ranger, and he got it, I believe, 1908 to 1920. Oh, okay. So he actually owned the house during that period. Yeah. Um, it seems that he didn't live here, though, um, because a little bit before 1920, it looks like about 1916, a woman 
with the kind of unusual name of Clifford Myrick. Cliffy. Uh, came to Albuquerque. Um, her name was Clifford, apparently, because her father was hoping for a boy. And what an asshole. <laughs> Seriously. He was committed to the idea. <laughs> Weirdly, though, uh, it's, she's also listed as Clara at various points, but the story her daughter gave was that her, her name was Clifford because her father wanted, to, wanted a boy and was just going to go with Clifford. Um, she was from Louisiana. Hmm. She worked as a nurse and found that there was a need for nurses who were willing to work with tuberculosis patients in that area. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of fear about tuberculosis at that point. Um, and so people naturally didn't want to be in proximity with somebody with a terrible contagious disease. So tuberculosis brought her here, but she didn't have it? Is that no. what you're saying? No. She was she a nurse. escorted patients out oh. here from Louisiana. Oh. Uh, according to the precepts of climatology, which was the best bet for dealing with tuberculosis at that okay. point in the era before antibiotics, hmm. um, the idea was that tuberculosis was caused by toxic wet air from swamps, huh. and it was cured by dry, cool air in arid places. Man. So if you're in Louisiana, you want to get out. Man, right. the only thing swamps will cause is toenail fungus. I walked across the Everglades once, and that is bad. It, <laughs> your feet just rot inside your shoes. It's horrible. I knew a guy, and he had hiked it so many times that he had his toenails surgically removed, and he showed me, and it was kind of gross because he kind it wasn't a... it wasn't well done. There were like slivers of nails oh. still there and stuff. Jeez. <laughs> Ugh. His that name was Nimbleville Nomad, surgical. and he would tell you a poem anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, tuberculosis was no picnic either, my friends. <laughs> it led to the coughing up of immense amounts of sputum and a slow oh, wasting no. away. Uh, so if you had it and there was no particular, there was Damn. no real known cure at that Ugh. point other than move away. Um, you wanted to get out of, out of uh, wherever you were. Um, especially if it was swampy and you wanted to go somewhere dry. Uh, about the turn of the century, Albuquerque and New Mexico began marketing themselves as health country. And Albuquerque had the bright idea that we were the heart of health country. We were supposed to be like the coolest, driest climate uh, close to a major railroad. Um, and so people came from all over the country to, uh, to recuperate from uh, tuberculosis here in, in town. And sanatoriums began springing up all over. In fact, right about this time, if you look out in that direction, um, instead of the highway and instead of vast rolling hills going all the way to the Sandia Mountain, you would have seen um, the Albuquerque Sanatorium springing up and a Presbyterian Sanatorium springing up. And then there were a number of others kind of just all around. And these were places where people who had TB would go, and the whole idea of how to cure yourself was that you would be exposed to the air, so you would sleep on your porch, uh, and you would have a little cabin maybe. Um, maybe sometimes people slept in tents if they were poorer. Uh, they had, um, their meals were cooked over open fires, and they were exposing themselves to the fresh air as much as possible. Mm. Um, and this area had a lot. Oh, yeah. It was huge. I mean, there was, there was Shortle Sanatorium. There was Albuquerque Sanatorium, Presbyterian Sanatorium, um, Washington Sanatorium, Methodist Deaconess Sanatorium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Clifford would be 
circulating this area. Well, she liked it out lot. here. So she came out in 1916 as a nurse escort huh. for a patient. Sounds racy. <laughs> it may have been. Uh, Is it? No. She was an independent woman. It's okay. not clear that that might have been going on, but she certainly seemed to have a rather modern attitude toward... Um, Love. Uh, <laughs> so she came out in 1916 for the first time. She liked the area, uh, and she enjoyed it. She, she said, well, climatology, it worked so well, it either cured patients or killed them. Um, the said, there you go. So Why she said every time she had a patient die, she would go back to, uh, to Louisiana and get another one and bring them out here. Because, of course, the thing is... The That's cool, dry air of Albuquerque uh-huh. is not necessarily going to cure your tuberculosis. Yeah. Um, but you might get better. Yeah, yeah, you might get better yeah. just because sometimes Look, people right. got better. Here's the thing, though. Fresh air, sunshine, those are awesome things. It's probably Being better than open, dying in a swamp. It's, it's cool. Go get that anyway. You're going to die, man. You got tuberculosis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it, was the number one, uh, it was the number one cause of death for people under like 30 in 1905 oh, or something wow. in Albuquerque specifically. Uh. And I mean, there, there was an, uh, an aspect of magical thinking to the whole climatology thing. Like early promotional materials say, oh, uh, the Native Americans who live in New Mexico have never had tuberculosis before. Well, that was because they hadn't been exposed, right? And right. it wasn't because they were in, the, in the, um, the cool, dry air. And so all these Easterners came out with tuberculosis, and then guess what happened? Suddenly there were a bunch of uh. Uh, Native American and, uh, yeah. and Spanish American yeah. people who were coming down with tuberculosis in the area. Right. And all the rich Easterners could afford to be set up in these beautiful uh, sanatoriums with their own cabin and people cooking for them and people cleaning for them. But the poor population couldn't. And so suddenly there was a crisis associated with that, um, mm. which we'll, kinda, we'll get into a little bit. But that was what brought Clifford out. What year um, are we at again? This is 1916. It's about 1916. Uh, okay. um, Interesting time. She met a man named Arthur B. Hall. Uh, who took her fancy. He was a good talker and uh, kind of a dynamic person. He owned a pharmacy at the corner of Gold and 2nd Street, which is where the art bar was, and I don't think anything else is now. Hmm. I don't think so. Um, What was the pharmacy called? It was called, I don't know what it was I think it was Hall Pharmacy. Hall Pharmacy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to remember. And they took picnics around town. And The story is that one day they were picnicking on the hills, uh, just east of where we are now. Mm-hmm. And he said, marry me. And she said, I will if you buy me that house. And oh she pointed God. at the press club. Um, she pointed at the Whittlesey house. Oh, that's a great story. And he said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's so shallow and huge. <laughs> awesome. So in 1920, he bought the house. It had been abandoned for quite some time. Uh, she, Her daughter describes uh, the kind of furniture that was here. It was... Um, oak tables inlaid with ivory and, you Whoa. know, things that Ooh. had just laid abandoned Ugh. for quite some time. hate ivory. Evil. <laughs> yeah, but it was... Can we say it was cool back then? <laughs> Don't kill elephants. They're beautiful. They're intelligent. They mourn their dead. <laughs> <laughs> they moved in. They had a, had a few children. Um, at least, I think, three children. Um, and they kind of became a social center for Albuquerque. She was very, she was, uh, as I mentioned, kind of an independent 
person. She was big into like the flapper thing. Uh, apparently really good at dancing the Charleston. Uh, she did like all the 1920s stereotypical things. She danced the Charleston. She wore a flapper hat. She brewed gin in a bathtub upstairs. <laughs> this was what she did. Everyone did. <laughs> and she had like <laughs> artists come through. Um, people like Will Rogers supposedly stayed here. Um, various various artists who were you know on their way to the Talos Artist Commune would stop in at this house and stay here. What's your read on Will Rogers? Was he cool? I don't know. Well, probably. <laughs> I, that's a good no. question. You know, yeah. I feel like I, I've listened to some of his uh, material. Yeah. And I bet it was really funny back then, but it did not get a chuckle. You know, oh, yeah. when I want to laugh, I read the newspaper. Like, that's just, oh. you know, it's become. Oh, he wrote so, a column, right? Yeah. But he was in movies and stuff too, right? A few, yeah. Weird. Yeah. He was but, a singing cowboy. Was he? I guess. Uh, I don't know. Oh, but, weird. Does anyone know anything about Will Rogers? <laughs> no. Okay, here comes Chris. Oh, good. Chris oh, okay. Burnett, host of like Tendering Minimum. A bit of a he, uh, he was in, in Westerns, yeah. and he had Trigger the Horse. No, oh. no, no. That's oh. Roy Rogers. Roy oh. Rogers. Oh. oh, okay. Never mind. Sit back down. Oh, oh, maybe I'm completing geez. those two also. No, I think he helped us sort Will something Rogers. out. I think it's completing <laughs> Roy Rogers with Will Rogers. Who was Howdy Doody with? Oh, he said Puppet or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, here oh, we go. Here we go. Someone from the audience. My buddy. Art, art legend and co- owner of the largest Thai collection in New Mexico. Really? Amazing. Just Hello. an amazing collection. Howdy. Hi. Hey. Uh, hey. Uh, Will Rogers was, was a humorist. Yes. And uh, a bit of a, a, on the conservative side. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But, but wildly popular. And this is like 1920s. So 30s. conservative back then. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. All right. Thank you. Thanks, it's probably Mark. to the left of Bernie Sanders now. That guy once opened for Henry <laughs> Rollins with his wife. <laughs> Like his his uh, his conservative sentiments. I don't think we should have a violent communist overthrow of the U.S. government yet. Um, <laughs> we must wait for the right time. So let's see who else stayed here. The Mayo brothers uh, came out. They founded the Mayo Clinic. They stayed here on. Um, they didn't find found discover mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, oh, ouch. Dang! Shoot, I, I, like this, I totally this blundered inky, that. thick silence from the audience. <laughs> I think should tell you all you need to know about that. Honestly, joke. I missed the joke setup, so <laughs> <laughs> you usually hate my puns. I just don't like puns so, in general. Yeah. I think they're easy. Uh, they were great friends with. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just you hate my puns. Opinion. Whatever. I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> they were great friends with uh, Dr. Loveless, uh, who founded the the Loveless Clinic, which was also here for the treatment of tuberculosis. He came out because he had tuberculosis, and he recovered and then began treating people. And uh, to Clifford's credit, I mentioned that... Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the local population came down with tuberculosis and didn't have the money to treat it. She offered up her own porch to people who stayed here. Um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and got the fresh air out on the uh, on the porch there. Um, she was close friends with the Martinez's, including uh, Maria Martinez from San Ildefonso Pueblo, the, the inventor of the black on black pottery style. Right. In fact, oh. yeah. If yeah. you look at this. Uh, this um, fireplace over here, it's got these recesses in it. Um, those were apparently filled with Maria Martinez black-on-black black San Ildefonso pottery. Yeah. She, uh, back she in the day. and her husband, Julian, were archaeologists, and they were looking at these sites. This is the story. It's disputed in some quarters. But um, 
they, they were looking at uh, old pottery shards, and they, she found some that, was, that were scratched, not just uh, painted. And, oh. that's, and that, like, this ancient style inspired her to do this in her new style, and she kind of resurrected this old thing and made it modern and elegant. Mm, cool. It was, she really did have a neat style. Um, and, and what was really cool, too, is she shared this uh, technology with everyone in the Pueblo, and it was this wonderful mm. economic and cultural boon for the whole, whole Pueblo. Neat. So, pretty cool. Yeah. And it revitalized other Pueblos, like Santa Clara, that took the style as well and ran with it. I mean, really neat. Wow. You know? Um, anyway, keep going. This is great stuff. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> So as I mentioned, she had, a, she had uh, some children here, one of whom was her daughter uh, named Mary Lou Heafy. Um, she was a lifelong Albuquerque resident and grew up in this house, and she has a brief reminiscence I thought that I would share with you guys. When Cliffy moved in, six large windows afforded a magnificent and vast view of the ambling ridges and dry hills. As there was little growth on those sandy, rocky hills, they appeared endless, stretching for miles, with only the high mountains off the horizon. At that time, there were few houses this large in Albuquerque. The immensity of the house took my breath away as a child. Looking down to the north, the stone houses sitting on Gold Street appeared tiny from the heights of the hill. I was king of the mountain, powerful. It was a peaceful atmosphere. The front entrance on the eastern side of the house opens into the living room, the showplace of the Hall Log House. That's how she refers to it. It was indeed such a lovely location that more marriages were performed there than any other private residence in town. Mm -hmm. Even strangers call and ask permission to marry in front of the fireplace. It is so romantic. How could I ever say no, Cliffy would lament. (laughs) That fireplace made of volcanic lava rocks certainly did dominate the living room and drew attention immediately as it was directly opposite the massive front door. Also greeting us as we entered was a large two-foot bronze foo dog who guarded the hearth from his teak wooden platform. He appeared to snort smoke from his mouth and nostrils, issuing an aroma of pine scent. Fires were continually burning within the immense interior of the massive fireplace. They cast a soft glow on the the brown bark walls and created a warm welcome. Decorative features of the fireplace were the nichos in the front. These recesses were perfect spots to display the small black pots of Maria, the famous San Ildefonso potter. Maria was always pleased to see the warm display of her pots. She told Cliffy that it was her best advertisement. Also at the fireplace were huge double wooden shelves containing large Zia and Akama Indian water vases. There behind those vases, I found my special spot. There was sufficient room behind them for me to hide undetected. From my vantage point in the shadows, I could retreat from the world, escape into a book or eavesdrop on the most interesting conversations because people were oblivious of my presence behind the Zia vase. It was a special place for me. I thought that dude, was... That's really nice. Ty, you've done so much good research, dude. you found so much cool stuff on this place. It's the kind of thing I think everybody who's ever been a kid can picture hiding away somewhere secret and doing their own thing. This place is an amazing building. One night, Seth, who used to bartend here, got... Uh, well, he decided to... Um, to uh, give us like a full tour of the place. And he showed us all the secret nooks and stuff and things like where they hid a still during Prohibition and a little oh, wow. secret panel in one of the walls. Cool stuff like that. It was neat. So yeah. un- unfortunately, um, the marriage of, uh, of Cliffy and A.B. Hall did not last. Um, they were both pretty independent people. Maybe uh, A.B. Hall more independent at that point. Mm. And according to uh, Mary Lou Heafy, he had numerous affairs, mm. mostly in the neighborhood just that was going up around the press club, um, yeah. to, the, to the point that Cliffy could look out with her binoculars mm. and spot his car parked at whoever <laughs> his latest girlfriend's house was. 
So by 1930, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> their uh, their marriage came to an end. Um, she kept the house, which I think I, I always like the thought that maybe she liked the house a little better than him. Anyway, it was um, her true yeah. love. We should write a love story between her and the house. That's the real romantic interest in this story. She married for the house. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she that, did. That, and that movie's never been made. I w- <laughs> a woman and her house. Yeah, a woman and her nonfiction. House. Yeah, everyone thinks it, like nonfiction novels have to be true crime because of Truman Capote. They could be anything. You could do that. You could write about that in such an interesting way. A woman, a house, yeah. <laughs> one yeah. moment in time. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. You know, I'll it's not write sexual. It with you. I mean, not like. Oh, I <laughs> think we should totally explore that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you can use those metaphors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, right. a, that's a whole different podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like an hour so according to Mary Lou <laughs> even though the marriage came to an end they did remain pretty close which I think ties in nicely to uh, if you were here for the previous podcast or if you were watching it on live stream there was a lot of talk about um, the exes that you can remain friends with or have to remain in a relationship sure. with and it seems that, that Cliffy and AB um, continued to spend time together uh, <laughs> according to, uh, to Mary Lou, um, they both had a pair of binoculars, um, and he, st- he built a house up on, uh, the west bank of the Rio Grande, up on a ridge up there, and apparently they could see each other's houses oh, from, so uh, each other's, from, uh, crazy. <laughs> from their respective vantage points. I would kind of... They were just staring at each other with binoculars? <laughs> yeah, across- yeah from, oh, they would, like, little... check in on each other. Oh, it's like a That's Wes sweet. Anderson movie or something. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, that cracks me up. She, <laughs> it, it didn't, you know, whatever lingering affection she had for, uh, for A.B. Hall did not stop her from uh, beginning an, a series of new romances. Um, all, sorts of, uh, all sorts of men apparently dallied here with her. Um, oh. <laughs> upstairs in the upstairs room, right? That was her room? That was it? her room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the very uh, top upstairs. Hmm. Um, including a, uh, a young journalist named uh, Carl oh, Taylor. Something I know about. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he came from Illinois, is that right? Yeah, no, he came from Indiana. He came from Indiana. Yeah, he was, you know, and a lot of people came to New Mexico from Indiana for uh, tuberculosis. The word was out on the street there. He came he, here for tuberculosis? Yeah, well, no, he came, yeah. He came to get he? tuberculosis. Yeah, I think, I think uh, he... You know, I don't know that he was. I think he actually came specifically for the penitentes because he had been studying flagellant sects. I think sects. that's, yeah, S-E-C-T-S. Uh, these, right. you know, groups that whipped themselves. He wrote a whole book about the, the groups in the Philippines. And these all trace back to the same origins. They were brought from Spain, which, where it originated in 1300. And when it spread across the West, this practice of whipping yourselves to atone for your own sins and other, otherwise punishing yourself, it was like a hardcore... Jeez. Part of like just the conquistador mentality, you know, it was it, these. This was an extreme religious manifestation yeah. of that, and and Feel uh, bad. yeah. But he came, he, it, you know. It's interesting too, though. And of course, they were oh, very yeah, valuable yeah. in their community. You know, often the only law and like spiritual counsel and just general aid that that there was in a community. So he like he came to New Mexico twice. Yeah. And the first time he came was when he had this kind of romantic period with uh, with Clifford. Yeah. They visited uh, different. Uh, Native American tribes and, and yeah. so forth. Mm. That was 
kind of his interest. And he I think was he like wrote some articles about that. Yeah, he wanted to. He was this white dude that fancied himself like you know an Indiana Jones type figure, like swashbuckling, having adventures and whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. wearing a pith helmet, literally. And stuff, you know, and and he went all over. He wanted to go to the most exotic places, and he loved to send pictures back of like, "This is me and the headhunters" and stuff like that. Which, you know, what that's a pretty cool thing to do with your life in its way, you know, like yeah. g- getting out there and seeing the world, and especially at that time, that point in history when people were realizing that their little insular countries right. weren't weren't the whole of the world. They were still fetishizing and exploiting. But. Yeah, he was definitely of Jeez. the New Mexico is a strange and magical yeah. he was into land that, yeah. guy. Um, yeah. So he, he, he stayed with, uh, with Clifford while he was here, uh, apparently borrowed a lot of money from her, mm-hmm. um, and then decided he would uh, accept an assignment writing about islands in the South Seas. Yeah, it was for, oh, that's right, yeah. And he told Clifford that he would, uh, he would come back and that he, he wrote her a check for all the money that he had borrowed from her. Get a load of this story. And left town. Um, off to whatever was in yeah. the Pacific, and then she attempted to cash the check, and it was bad. And <laughs> <laughs> he did that to his girlfriend. That's so crappy. That is like, it's pretty low. <laughs> he bal- it was big too. It was like over a thousand bucks at a time when that when that kind of money was a lot, right? The yeah, Whittlesey House would amount. never do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, she was really rich, so limit your sympathy. Yeah, she didn't seem to take it but... too bad. She they continued <laughs> to write to each other. Yeah. Uh, but after his time in the South Seas, he came back here, and she was no longer into him. Uh, he was on his own at that point. Yeah. But that's actually when his life kind of took a took a pretty An interesting, interesting turn. dark turn. So which I, is Mike's, Mike's I have thing. studied Carl Taylor uh, uh, excessively, and I got to say, in the story of the Carl Taylor murder, as it's now known, I tend to sympathize more with the murderer. I think the murderer is a much more interesting figure. <laughs> Carl Taylor, I can't get a read on. Okay, get this. There's a sentence in one of the articles about him, and it says... This is an old article that probably used primary sources, though it doesn't cite them, thanks. It says, <laughs> uh, uh, this article in some old pulp magazine says, um, oh God, what was the exact quote? I, want to, I just don't want to mess this up. Um, it said, Carl Taylor, wherever he went, always be, was sure to employ a young boy to do chores around his home. And it's like, okay, maybe that's just what it says, you know, and, and nothing else. But it's kind of weird. And then he was later killed by a young boy employed to do chores around his home. Can you give and, us like a b- brief rundown on that story? Like, okay. So what, what happened? He came back here, right. as you said, to study the content. Right. Carl Taylor, there was a magazine, I believe it was called Today Magazine. It was edited by Raymond Moley, who wrote the speech for Roosevelt, uh, We Have Nothing to Fear But Fear Itself. Super cool. Inter- yeah. There's a really interesting book about it. It's called Fear Itself, I think. And... Uh, and uh, Raymond Moley, and Taylor's in it, and Moley's in it. But uh, Moley was the editor of this magazine that would later combine with News-Week and become Newsweek, which, of course, is the long-running magazine. But he got this assignment to write about the Penitentes, and I'm sure he pitched it. He was on good terms with his editors. Another one of his editors wrote a song that's still sung today about Tripoli and pirates or something like that. It's one of those patriotic B-sides. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Um, is it the Halls of Montezuma? Yeah, that one. Oh. The, the Halls of... Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the that Marines one. Sing that. Yeah, That's yeah. the Marine so his song. other editor, I forget Aww. his name, but he wrote that. But um, So anyway, Taylor got this assignment to write this, and for the assignment, he went into the Penitente Marada up in San Antonio, and he wrote a letter about it later. I have What's taken a Marada? Some, oh, okay, a Marada is a Penitente chapel, basically. Right. And uh, it's basically like a normal chapel, except there's blood all over the floors <laughs> in some of the rooms, and there's an area where you can throw yourselves on beds of cactus and broken glass and stuff like that. You know, this is a specially outfitted place. I once heard a bag... You're not supposed to go in them unless you're a penitente. You know that... What's that place between here and Santa Fe where they do Renaissance fairs? 
You remember that? Los Golondrinas. Los Golondrinas. Okay. So they have an old Spanish Murata there at Los Golondrinas, and they had a bagpipe concert there. It was so weird. My head, like, exploded. I didn't know what to do with that. A bagpipe concert in a Spanish Murata okay. in so New Mexico? So this is probably going to have to be our last <sighs> story for the night just because we're kind of running low on time. Oh, but shoot. Let's, uh, let's, so what happened to what Carl happens? Taylor? So what happened to Carl Taylor? So he got murdered. Everybody blamed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he got murdered after like going into this Murata he wasn't supposed to go yeah, into, yeah. right? Yeah, so he went to the Murata. He took a bunch of pictures. Some of these pictures have recently turned up. I'm convinced that I'm the only one researching this shit. Uh, but uh, some of these pictures turned up in an archive in Colorado. And um, and uh, they're interesting. They show the inside, and they show Modesto Trujillo's grandfather. And Modesto Trujillo was the kid that killed Carl Taylor. So Modesto Trujillo's grandfather was a penitente. His father was a penitente who was also a sheep herder out at Mount Taylor. Um, and Modesto had always said and was quoted in the article that Taylor wrote, my one goal is to become the Cristo, the man who's uh, hung up on the cross and crucified at Easter time. Oh, and uh, wow. so... Uh, at first, the penitentiaries were blamed. It was a national scandal. It went all over the place. And um, there, were, there were headlines in newspapers across the country. My favorite was in Ohio. It was Blood Rites of the Scourges of Satan. <laughs> There's a movie about it, too. Yeah, called, um, 1937. What is Lash it of the Penitentes. The Lash of the Penitentes. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because during the super puritanical, extra prude times when they were hacking the shit out of these movies to... Uh, I keep swearing. I'm sorry. I guess it's okay. just we're in a historic bar. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's it, right? Um, uh, so there was this movie made, and it was totally exploitative, and it had, they gave Carl Taylor a girlfriend who was crucified topless in, her, in <laughs> oh, his gosh. stead. And Clyde Tingley, then governor of uh, New Mexico, saw it and said, this will be banned in the entire state of New Mexico. It will not be seen here. You, the only copies of it exist now have been edited down by censors to contain none of the stuff that's shown in the trailer, which is really salacious, and you can see it on YouTube, um, and to cut out the character of the girlfriend entirely. Um, it's like 25 minutes long now. Yeah, it's, after tw- they it's so short. And there's weird scenes that make no sense. Why did they just show that woman getting off a train? We never see her again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, but what was interesting about this was there was another filmmaker who had actually gone out and shot Penitente Rituals documentary style outside of Truchas, New Mexico, in northern New Mexico. I forget this guy's name, but the direct, <laughs> his na- he was the director of such classic films as Child Bride of the Ozarks. That so was, uh, that was Whittlesey's wife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh my God, it's about her. Yeah, featuring a scene in a pond apparently that made me never even want to like check this thing out. Um, but <laughs> I'm like, no thanks. Yeah, it's cool. It's just we know the title. Um, <laughs> so anyway, this guy had filmed this and had gotten his fingers shot off while he was doing it. And but oh. this this footage was spliced into the film, making it a really weird, interesting artifact because yeah, there's yeah, documentary stuff in it. It's documentary mm-hmm. film of. Things you'll never see in yeah. Mexico today that actually happened. Yeah. So that was uh, that, her. That, that's what happened to her boyfriend, Carl Taylor. Um, <laughs> so he hurt. trod these floors. Yeah. She had all yeah. all kind. Her daughter has all kinds of crazy stories, like about the time they met Al Capone uh, up in oh, the yeah. Hamas Mountains. It's true. Um, Supposedly, I feel like we could talk about uh, Clifford. We need to do an episode um, on Al Capone. Yeah. I have a good article about that story all night long, but unfortunately, we are kind of running late. I, I, I uh. feel like this is a teaser episode because yeah. you should, yes. you should uh, tell people that if you want to hear more, if you want to hear more, you can check it out on uh, City on the Edge, um, on Podcast. SoundCloud, on iTunes, and all that. And cityontheedgepodcast.com. So uh, Clifford lived here until 1960 when her health began to decline. And suddenly all these stairs and walking up the hills and so forth uh, 
became difficult for her. So she wound up um, selling the house at that point to um, the Lambda Chi fraternity, who owned it until 1966, when it was bought by a guy called John T. Roberson, and then sold to the press club in 1973, uh, who owns it to this day. Um, however, she kind of remained... Like, this, this house is associated with her to a degree... It, it probably shouldn't be called the Whittlesey House, even uh. though he designed it and lived here for years or so. I kind of feel like we should maybe call it the Hall House, if we're going to call it anything, um, the Clifford Hall House. Uh, there are stories that her uh, spirit returned here after her death. We, we did a um, whole episode on that. It's our very first episode, and the sound quality yeah. is terrible. So if you feel anything uh, strange while you're uh, wandering around this old building... It could be Clifford Hall. Um, apparently, she used to play the piano, which was pretty cool. Like, she would play the piano in the dead of night, but um, she hasn't done that in anybody's memory, so... Mm-hmm. Now she just sneezes and coughs, we hear from Hallie, and closes yeah, doors. Yeah, that's right. Or you hear, hear strange footsteps upstairs uh-huh. in her old bedroom and this kind of thing. Do staff wow. still leave out a beer or drink for her? I read that they used that's to... That's always crap. Do. No one ever consistently does yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Um, no. You'll, say, we'll, we'll say, have what? To say what? Leaves out yeah. beer. A little milk. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's exactly. here. They said that about the chemo, and they updated that shrine like once every year, I yeah. remember. So <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for uh, coming out and seeing us this uh, fine Saturday evening. You guys are awesome. Um, thank thank you, you so much. I can't wait to hear everyone else tonight. This is a long, crazy event, you guys. Stick around for some interesting podcasts. We are going to uh, be joined by um, Albuquerque, the uh, podcast about how crazy Albuquerque is, uh, coming up shortly. (laughs) They never Um, run out of material. In the meantime, oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, We do have an audience question. Okay. Oh, I just want to add a tidbit. Okay. Mike, the next time you come to my my mom's house... All right. uh, my 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 dad was a photographer for the Air Force okay. in Manila, and uh, we have uh, extensive photos of the penitentes. Whoa! Yeah. Oh my God! I would love to see those from the Philippines. 1953. Hey, I have an original copy of Carl Taylor's 1936 books a book about him. We should combine these artifacts and check them out. That sounds cool. Okay, let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Let's do a quick raffle here. Um, does everybody have a raffle ticket? Oh, oh man, you guys can do are lucky. Like three of them right now. We can't do it because we're the hosts. Yeah, oh. you guys are lucky. Oh, six of them. <laughs> Holy chrome! Oh, yeah. oh. You guys are in luck. Hunter There's going to cool. be six ten-dollar gift certificates. Yeah, yeah, we're going to give them one away one mm. at a time. Nice. Uh, two Rebel Donuts. All right. So is it like a whole like dozen donuts, dude? That's like two dozen donuts. If it's your kids, I $10. suspect something. All right. Does ten dollars not buy you a dozen donuts? That'll buy you at least a dozen oh. donuts. One, two, three, zero, eight, zero has won a prize. A hand went Dang. up. Yay. Nick, 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 Nick. Nick. Let's do uh, three of them now, and then we can do three later, maybe. There you go. Okay. Okay. I ran into Nick in a Whole Foods when I had a beard like that, and it was like two Jesuses meeting on the street. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's 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 Joe. Joe Joe and Nick have the same beard. (laughs) Also, uh, Zach Ratzlaff. They like pass the beard around. A lot of they have a beard. You guys remember when Nick DePascal's beard at his own Facebook page? That was some funny stuff. I laughed. Next. uh, Next one is one two three zero eight six. <laughs> Next Yay! question. All right. uh-huh. You get Good donuts. One. Check out Tomorrow's your chair. Mom. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's do one later. more. You get a donut. Let's do you one more now, and then All right. you know, don't go away because there's yeah. gonna be more great things later on. Tonight. You guys, I cannot thank you enough for being the cool community that Sick. I get to be a part of. I feel so lucky. One, oh. two, three, <laughs> zero, seven, seven. Okay. Oh, nice. oh it's Jen. You get a donut. Oh don't my forget gosh. to eat that. Ty, remember a lot of donuts in that house. Maple remember bacon. when we saw the room with Jen? Oh nice. yeah, we did. We saw the room. Oh with Jen. man. That was fun. That movie is so hilariously bad. Yeah. I want to see the disaster artist I, about to so make it. Hey, hey, we, we, we should make an event. We should make an event. Let's all go together. It'd be fun. Oh. Are you okay. guys done? We're yes. done. Yeah. You guys good? We're done. Right. Thank you guys once again. Thanks. I wanted to read this little article. It's so funny. It's, and <laughs> you, you, hey, I haven't hit stop yet. I haven't hit stop. Mike, I haven't hit stop yet. Mike, read it. Read it. I haven't hit stop yet. All right. I want to read one last thing while you guys are just milling around. Odors cause a stink. This is news from, I want to give you the date really quick so that you can contextualize this. This is news from, when did Ty say 1989? Let's just go with 1989. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Workers were evacuated from a three-story downtown building when a strong ether-like smell was detected, and it took three searches to find the culprit, a rotten orange. The building, which houses the Bernalillo County District Attorney's Office, was evacuated Wednesday while firefighters searched for the source of the odor. Nothing was found. A firefighter during the third search of the building found the rotten orange in a plastic bag in the box next to the desk. You guys, this is history. This is living. Somebody found it. This is important history. Women, wit, and next is actually next. Not Albuquerque, but I think we are going to get Albuquerque later tonight, right? Okay, all right. Okay, stay tuned. <laughs>